chapter twenty five of the splendid outcast by george gibbs this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony oliva conclusion jim horton passed the night pacing the floor of his prison and his interrogation by monsieur simon the juge d'instruction with the assistance of the commissaire de police in the morning gave him little hope of release the examination was severe but his inquisitors had not been able of course to shake his testimony and had left his cell more puzzled than when they had entered it but he had sense enough to see that unless it were proven possible for some one to have been in the studio to commit the murder all the evidence must point to him and yet he could not help them nor could he suggest a line of investigation he was still completely in the dark about the whole tragic affair and could scarcely blame them for their uncompromising attitude toward himself and poor piquette toward her also he sat upon the edge of his cot for hours after the examination his head in his hands trying to evolve some possible explanation of the mystery a more encouraging affair was the visit in the late afternoon of a captain of the regular army of the united states representing the judge advocate general's office who interviewed him in the presence of an officer of the prefet de police and in the course of this investigation jim horton learned of harry's second defection from the army which had resulted in his horrible death captain waring questioned shrewdly but jim horton now needed no encouragement or threat to reveal the whole truth for whatever happened to him at the hands of the prefet de police he knew that there was nothing left for him but to throw himself upon the mercy of the army officials and so he told the whole story from the moment when as corporal of engineers he had heard the infantry major's instructions to his brother of his meeting with harry of his effort to save his brother's name and position by attempting to carry out the major's orders the changing of uniforms the fight at boissiere wood the hospital and the events that had followed in paris leaving out what references he could to harry's wife and palliating where he could his brother's offences against the military law from sternness he saw captain waring's expression change to interest from interest to sympathy and to horton's surprise when the officer finished taking the testimony he extended his hand frankly you have committed a military offence corporal horton but your story has impressed me it can be easily verified i will do what i can for you at headquarters it was your croix de guerre you see thank you sir said jim but it looks as though i'm in a bad position here do you think i could have done this horrible thing sir do you no said the captain but sit 
tight corporal i think you'll find that things will turn out all right what did the man mean jim horton followed his neatly fitting uniform out of the cell with his gaze and then more mystified than ever at this mingling of good fortune and bad sank again upon his cot to try and think it out but he was no sooner seated than the man who had done the most to put him where he was monsieur mathieu the commissaire de police again entered the cell his manner during the examination by the juge d'instruction in the morning had been aggressive horton's ordeal had been most unpleasant the french counterpart of what he had heard of in his own country as the third degree but monsieur mathieu's ugly face was now almost kindly its expression was quite calm and while horton wondered what was the meaning of the visit the commissaire explained evidence has been introduced into this case monsieur which somewhat changes its complexion ah you have found tricot or quinlevin no not yet monsieur but we have hopes the evidence came from another quarter we believe that the apache committed this crime horton couldn't restrain a gasp of relief it is only what i told you monsieur monsieur mathieu nodded but you will not blame us for not accepting with some reserve the testimony of a person in your position who has testified monsieur madame horton and in a few words he described the line of procedure which had resulted in the discovery of the part the lay figure had played in the tragedy moira had come to the rescue moira whose eyes it seemed had been keener than his own keener even than those of this veteran detective and amazement at the simplicity of the device and the ease with which it had been put into practice made him dumb it is always so monsieur the mysteries which seem most difficult to solve are always the simplest in conception but tricot did not invent this crime monsieur the apache is shrewd but the brain that conceived this plan i believe you now monsieur but i am afraid that he will not be easy to catch he was at fontainebleau last night and this morning it was his alibi when my men reached there he had gone and tricot it is as to tricot that i wish to see you we have watched the house in the rue charron every haunt of men of his type is under observation i thought perhaps you might give us a further clue Emile pochard should know pochard in the rue d'almont under arrest he may talk good monsieur the help that you give us will make your deliverance the more speedy i know nothing more you understand it is not possible to release you until the evidence is more definitely confirmed but i will do what i can for your comfort and convenience thanks and for madame morin yes monsieur she is i think now quite contented 
and the commissaire departed as rapidly as he had entered presently jim horton lay down at full length on his bed the first time since he had been shown into the cell everything would be right he knew it and it was moira who had come from her retreat at the first news of his trouble and piquette's to help them behind the reserve of m mathieu's disclosures he had read that it was moira's will her intelligence that had been matched against that of the commissaire and barry quinlevin her instinct her faith in him that had drawn her unerringly to the neglected clues where was she would she come to him now or was the hypnotic spell of barry quinlevin still upon her he stared into the darkness thinking of the tragedy of moira's life and the greater tragedy of his brother harry's but in spite of the terrible climax of harry's strange career and his own unwitting part in it jim horton found himself repeating moira's wild words no divorce but death and this was the divorce that neither of them had wished for nor dreamed of but destiny which had woven the threads of harry's life and moira's and his together for a while had destroyed the imperfect tissue to begin anew in a while jim horton slept soundly dreamlessly the morning dragged heavily and no one came to his cell it almost seemed that monsieur mathieu had forgotten him and it was not until the afternoon that he was again conducted to the room in which his examination and piquette's had taken place there he was brought face to face with the juge d'instruction who shook him by the hand and informed him that word had just been received that the apache tricot had been captured and in charge of monsieur mathieu was to be brought at once to confront the witnesses monsieur simon informed him that a partial confession having been extracted from tricot the case was simplified and that there seemed little doubt that he would be restored to freedom in a few hours while disposing of some other cases monsieur mathieu showed the prisoner into the inner room where piquette had preceded him they were both still technically prisoners but that did not prevent piquette from springing up from beside her guard and rushing to meet him oh mon jim she cried joyfully i knew he could not be for long piquette they're going to set us free oui mon brave and have you not heard it is madame horton who has made the way clear they captured tricot an hour ago in a cellar out near the porte maillot you may know that i am happy and she made a queer little sound of repulsion in her throat and quinlevin escape gone they cannot find him he sat beside her and they talked while they waited what are you going to do piquette he asked after a while do just go on living mon vieux what else she replied calmly 
i want to help you to get away from him piquette sapristi i need no help for that don't worry mon ami i shall be happy not with monsieur she laughed rather harshly oh la la you are not the only man in the world and then as she saw the look of pain in his eyes she caught him by the arm again you are the only man in the world for her mon vieux but not for me you think of me eh bien what you say forget it i shall be happy and free at this moment monsieur simon entered bringing no less a personage than monsieur de vautrin who had been apprehended as a witness the moment he had returned to paris and the details of the affair at nice having been set down monsieur simon went out to question tricot who had just been brought in under heavy guard the birth certificate and other papers were still in possession of the juge d'instruction but the duc had been permitted to examine them and question horton and piquette eagerly as to what had happened after his departure from nice and when he learned the facts his gratitude expressed itself in a desire to kiss horton on both cheeks which piquette only frustrated by quickly interposing her small person and i olivier she asked in french with a spirit of diablerie what is my reward for helping in the great affair you piquette he laughed you are as ever my angelic child who can do no wrong come to my arms but piquette laughed and tossed her chin and if i refuse then you are still an angelic child said de vautrin i shall give you money much money and if i refuse that too she asked he started a pace back from her in amazement you would desert me now ma petite piquette's face grew suddenly solemn yes monsieur le duc we shall make no more pretenses you and i i go back to the quartier where i am free perhaps one day i shall marry then you shall give me a present but now and she extended a hand adieu mon ami he glanced at her and at horton as though unwilling to believe what he had heard then took a pace toward piquette his arms extended but she only smiled at him c'est fini olivier she said quietly de vautrin pulled at his long moustache and laughing turned away a demain piquette he said confidently adieu olivier she repeated the duc stared at her again and then with a shrug took up his hat and stick and swaggered out of the room piquette whispered horton eagerly do you mean it yes mon brave she returned lightly to be free free and she took a long breath while she gazed past him out of the big window into the sunshine there was a commotion outside and they turned to the outer door as two policemen entered between them tricot securely manacled and followed by the juge the commissaire de police madame toupin moira madame simon the carpenter paul joubert and the other witnesses whose testimony had already been taken 
moira's gaze and jim horton's met for a moment full of meaning for them both and then she turned away to the seat beside monsieur simon to which the juge directed her she was very pale and sat for a while with eyes downcast during the preliminaries which led to the confession of the apache tricot stood with bowed head listening to the evidence against him his long arms hanging from his bent shoulders his thin lips compressed his small eyes concealed by the frowning thatch of his dark brows he was surly but indifferent as to his fate and answered the questions of monsieur simon in a low voice but distinctly evading nothing his identification by the carpenter joubert and to others as the man who had emerged from the room in the hallway when the crowd had surged upon the upper landing caused him to shrug the corroboration of madame toupin who saw him leave the courtyard after the murder only caused him to shrug again i did it he growled i confessed what's the use silence commanded the juge you will answer only when questioned are these two persons indicating horton and piquette the ones who first entered the studio they are and when monsieur le capitaine entered the studio you thought he was his brother yonder indicating jim i did i made a mistake and your motive for this crime tricot i was paid he muttered how much five thousand francs by whom tricot paused and then gasped the name monsieur quinlevin do you know where monsieur quinlevin is now no would you tell if you knew yes have you anything further to say no monsieur simon waved his hand in the direction of the door take him away the proof is now complete and then to the witnesses you will hold yourselves in readiness to attend the trial bonjour messieurs and rising from his chair at the head of the table he came over to jim and piquette and shook them warmly by the hands while monsieur mathieu who had taken no part in the proceedings quickly followed his example you are now free monsieur horton madame morin i thank you both in the name of justice for your indulgence and apologize for the inconvenience that has been caused you had it not been for the keenness of madame horton yonder you would still doubtless have been languishing in your cells thanks monsieur said horton gravely let me add monsieur horton that before the murderer arrived i was in consultation with monsieur le capitaine waring of the office of the judge advocate of the american army i told him what had happened in the case and he informed me that there was no disposition to make you suffer for an act which resulted in the croix de guerre he empowers me to ask only for your parole to report to him to-morrow morning at ten o'clock to comply with the military law i should say that in the end you will have nothing to fear thank god 
muttered horton half to himself and now monsieur le commissaire said the juge with a smile madame simon madame morin perhaps we had better leave monsieur the american to give his thanks to the lady who has helped us to liberate him madame horton piquette horton turned around to look for her but she had gone the others were already filing out of the door and suddenly jim and moira found themselves silent face to face by the big window in the sunlight amazed at the sudden termination of the case and what it meant to them their glances met and a gentle flush stole along the pallor of moira's face suddenly flooding it from brow to chin scarcely daring to believe this evidence of his happiness jim stared at her awkwardly and then took a pace forward moira he whispered at last thank god she murmured he took her in his arms gently as though she were a child and held her silently in a moment of wordless communion beyond the river below them the city of their tribulations murmured as before but to them it held a note of solace and of joy you did this moira you he said at last something stronger than i jim faith hope and charity he added i knew that i must succeed she went on quickly i was driven by some inward force which gave me new courage and strength it was faith jim the faith in you that my blindness had lost in the darkness my uncertainty the faith that i found again i had to succeed where others had failed faith gave me new vision just in time she finished with a gasp you never believed that i could have no never jim she broke in in a hushed voice not for a moment it was too horrible she hid her eyes with a hand for a moment as though to blot out the stain of the thought i've wondered why they didn't see as i saw it's like a dream all that afternoon after fontainebleau i hardly seem to remember why i did what i did it seems so easy now that it's done i only know that i prayed again and again that you not he should triumph quinlevin he muttered she drew closer into his arms he has escaped she said with a shudder perhaps it is best did you find out he began but she broke in quickly reading his thought he was my uncle my father's brother nora told me everything you've blamed me in your thoughts jim no moira yes i know she insisted but i couldn't forget the long years of his kindness until i knew what had happened the horror of it i ran away here even then i did not tell them everything and when they went to take him it was too late he's gone you poor child you've suffered i wanted to go to you jim that night when they came to the studio i wanted to and again at nice but i was afraid jim afraid of myself if i'd gone to you then our love had been so sweet a thing jim so pure and beautiful i couldn't let it be anything else i had never known what love was before i am afraid she whispered but not now dear no none of myself or of you only afraid 
that it's all a dream that i'll wake up imprisoned by vows that may not be broken you're released from them now moira he said soberly yes jim and you'll marry me dear yes jim but it would be a sin for us to be too happy too soon i can be patient you won't be needing to be too patient jim she whispered her warm lips on his he held her in the hollow of his arm where she was meant to be both of them muttering the phrases that had been so long delayed while their eyes looked down toward the sunlit river when suddenly jim felt the girl's fingers tighten in his and he followed the direction of her gaze across the petit pont just below them a figure passed a female figure in a heavy coat with a small hat that they both recognized set rakishly upon a dark head piquette said moira jim was silent and they watched for another moment piquette paused for a moment on the bridge and then raising her head quickly squared her shoulders and went quickly along the quay toward the boulevard saint michel where she was engulfed in the crowded thoroughfare end of chapter twenty five end of the splendid outcast by george gibbs recording finished february twenty fifteen